Now, Barry, where do we where do we start with your career? Take us take us way back to when you you first got interested in racing. How did that all evolve? Um, I think I was about fifteen when I first started stables. Um, I'd worked at a bacon factory in Morneys. Uh, went from Morneyside to the bacon factory at uh, KR at the Doughboy. Had twelve months there. Went into the stables. Uh, knew nothing. Couldn't so, why did you go to the stables then? Did someone say that? You were small at the time. Yeah, that's about the only thing. And I, I always liked animals, so okay. so I think that was it. And and uh, be quite truthful, I don't think I had anywhere else to go. So so uh, I was a ward of the state for about six years. My family broke up early. Um, uh, we had one brother died of tetanus, and that sort of split the family up completely. Uh, one uncle took my brother. My sister went into nursing, and my other sister stayed with my mother. Uh, where I was a little bit of a uh, rebel, I think. I couldn't get off on with anybody else. can't imagine Barry being a wild kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <He> so was. <laughs> um, it was a good, up- oh, well, a good upbringing for me to learn to stand on my own two feet. I went into the stable in those, those days as, as a 15-year-old, uh, knew nothing, couldn't ride. Jack Clayton and his, his uh, daughter and uh, son tried to teach me. Uh, they think they gave up on me. Jack got me a job with um, Albie Pratt. Uh, with, uh, Albie Pratt. Um, I seemed to learn to ride there. Um, you know, um, Albie and I sort of had a funny relationship. I think I might have worked for him for two or three times, had different different parts of my life, but only short periods because we both had good tempers, um, <laughs> or bad tempers, I should say. Um, so we did, we did clash a bit, but always remained uh, very close to the family. The Pratt family, they're a good family. And um, then I think a short stint, or might have been under 12 months or something, with Gordon Franks as an apprentice. Um, but in between that, I became good friends with a fellow called Mal Barnes, who eventually got me a job with um, uh, uh, Tony Mazzaglia when I was about 20. And uh, that's after I finished riding out west. Yeah, what tracks did you ride at? Do you remember your first day riding where it was? Yeah, it was Roma. And then I think I rode it in June at Tarum and uh, Rockhampton um, and uh, Morven, Charleville um, and um, St George. I rode, I rode a couple of winners at St George for Barry Miller. Oh, you yeah, oh, show yeah. a heart fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What so, made you um, give it up, Barry, the riding well, part it's of simple. it? simple. Yeah. Have a look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was a good doer, and by the time I gave it up, I think I had my last ride at uh, eight stone ten, and I went on a uh, short term on a, on a road gang on a, on a uh, surveyor's. Uh, I come back, uh, I think I come back about uh, ten stone... Ten stone something, so, yeah, so that was the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Just back to your brother, how did, it, did that affect you mentally, and, and what was the issue with the tetanus at the time? Um, I was only about six, I think, yeah. Oh, okay. Did he stand on something, or did it got yeah, an infection? Yeah, he was or? cutting up an old um, wood box, uh, yeah, the old butter box. He was cutting up that for, for kindling, uh, which we all know about in fires, mm. and uh, he uh, got an arm his foot, and... Uh, and um, from that he got tetanus and died. Uh, I can only remember a bit of it, but it's obviously a very, very, very painful death in those days. Yeah, even now, if there's something, a you know, fish hook or something dirty, fish hook, you'd be on the way off to the mm. hospital, get an injection if you haven't had one for a while. Yeah. Very nasty. Yeah. So yeah. that split our family up and from that time. And I was a ward of the state. I went from here. I was in an orphanage for a while uh, because I was a bit of a rebel. Um, and when you say rebel, what were you doing? Oh, I think I just... Um, you weren't of... stealing or anything like oh, that. Oh, no, no, no. no, <laughs> well, no, no. Eggs I don't <laughs> think I've ever stolen anything well, in my life. throwing eggs at things and <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Oh, no, just being uh, hard to get on with and, yeah. you know, and, mm. you know, uh, some teachers that I couldn't handle and uh, and I was, wasn't too bad at school, but one fellow... Um, uh, gave me a cuts in the middle of school, so I just threw my pen down and refused to write. Mm. Uh, so I finished at the bottom of the class because uh, I just wouldn't do any more yeah, work. It doesn't change, Mike, from the days that, you know, we, I think I got the cane once. Mm. Uh, I'll never forget it. Um, yeah. Yeah, they used to have different the size canes in those days as well. Yeah. Um, 
I can't remember what it was for, but anyway. I, stood, I, I held the record at uh, Morningside State. I think I got uh, four cups when I got to school for what I'd done the afternoon before. before. Mm. And I got six at my lunchtime, then I got another six <laughs> at uh, um, after school about three o'clock. So I, I think I yeah. was a bit of a notorious uh, person, but um, just only because I resented it and felt left out and... But I, I got all that knocked out of me when I went to Stables. Yeah. What do we do these days, Steve, when we're um, you know, chastising our kids and things? Like, you what get do we in do? trouble. Do we? we just yes. put them in the room and just let them... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was lucky that the people I stayed at Morningside, he, he gave me, you know, you always tell the truth, uh, you can't do this. Um, you know, he, um, he he couldn't hear me when gave gave to give and back chat to people. But he said, um, he said you uh, must never steal, you must never do anything. And I think I was lucky to be brought up in a, um, his name is Mr. Clibby, and uh, I was lucky to have a good start in life, being at least taught the right things. Mm, put you on the, the straight yeah, and narrow. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. And money would have been very tight in those days. I know Kelly Sweeter even talked about it many years ago as well. And, you know, there wouldn't have been, you know, as an apprentice rider, there wasn't much coming back in those days, was there? It's, you know, a lot of people just live week to week during, so, during that particular era. Sadly, no, we got 10 bob, 10 shillings. Mm. Yeah. And we got fed, fed, and that's one of the reasons I went to the stables. And then I think I might have graduated up to, to a pound or something like that. But, yeah, it was tough. What time did you have to start in the mornings back then? Oh, 3 o'clock, up at 3. The same thing. Mm. You still get up that time. Yeah, now, don't you? yeah, yeah. yeah sort of. Mm. Uh, I've had 70 years or 58 or 70 years, really, of, um, of doing that now. Yeah. Mm. So, 60, tell, so then take me through the path that's your riding career. So how do you then get into training and who taught you about being, you know, the horseman that you are now? Uh, I think I learned to, uh, to ride and do things properly. I learned that out of Roma and I had to re- learn that myself because you had no one to break in. You had no one to shield them. I learned to shield at an early age yeah. and, and I, I was shielding horses up until I was about 45 or something. I, I gave it up. Um, so you, you learned all those things because you had to learn them. And had some good horsemen out in the, in the West, and I think they taught you, you know, you're not going to get anywhere doing this, and you must do this. And um, yeah, uh, there's some good stockmen too, and and occasionally you get one of them to come in and help you and just straighten a few horses out. It was all stuff you had to do yourself because there was no one else to do it, you know. Mm. And uh, the couple of vets come to Rome, a uh, uh, fellow called. Uh, 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 Ross Teitzel, uh, he ended up being going to Melbourne, and, and um, uh, David um, uh, David Webster um, and and a few fellows like that. They were they were just real good people. Yeah, and of course Michael Carl mentioned this yesterday, and something that I wasn't aware of. You just touched on it then when we spoke about you, and he rode La Montagna a few times. Had good success, of course, when when you went over to Macau. We'll touch on that shortly. But he said you're a master with the horses' hooves as well. You did a lot of that. In Macau as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and Macau, they never went out of the stable. They were in the stable for, and I think I learned more at Macau uh, about, you know, cripples and that kind of thing, because half the horses had never been out of the stable. I got there, one horse hadn't been out of the stable for four years, and and you had to, um, they had classes, so you had to learn to let, get them back in the classes, and then you had to learn to concentrate and then get their form back up. And it was, um, they were very hard and you, if you, any jockey done the wrong, wrong thing and held a horse. So you had to do it all legally, you know, back off them and, and teach them to, to have a couple of easy runs. And then you'd get back into them and build them up again. And it was, a, it taught me a lot. Yeah. Hooves are such a common problem, aren't they? Getting them right with, with horses. Obviously, you've had lots of good ones over the years that have been plagued by uh, hoof, hoof issues that you had to deal with. I, th- I think there's a lot of, um, Tooth issues that we sometimes miss, you know, and mm. I think it's very important. Yeah, yeah. They say no hoof, no, no horse. No horse. Yeah. Tell me about synthetic hoof filler because sometimes some of us look in the form guide and we go, "Oh no, I'm not going to back that horse because it's got synthetic hoof filler." Tell me what you, you know, obviously being involved expertise with the hooves. Tell well, me. I've had seedy toe or some sort of hoof infection, and uh, and the, that kills the hoof, of course. And then the hoof filler is really only to stop it getting new infection. And I, I don't think it's a bad thing um, unless you, once we try to replace a horse's hoof and that was no good because there was too much jar when he hit the ground. But I, 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 don't, I don't see anything wrong with it. 
Mm. It, so it doesn't turn you off if you're hoping. It doesn't turn me off at all. It means at least you're on top of the problem. Yeah. Now, Barry, uh, your first, where did you start training? What venue? Um, was it was it Roma? You started uh, 1965, the Roma picnics. Yeah. Uh, I think the owners, uh, they wanted me to get the licence so I, I could train there. So we got that through when I was a 22-year-old. I went to my first um, meeting. We had nine runners, uh, nine starters, and it was a devastating day as far as I was concerned. The first day, they have two-day meeting. I think um, we had one place get out of nine starters, and I was devastated. And then the second day, because I'd given them a bit of work, and the first day never hurt them. And oh, only, so you backed them up. Oh, they? yeah, they all back up. And they were only in those days, they were in the paddock for... Um, uh, I think it was a month, it later got two months, and they're in the paddock for a month, and then you had to get them fit for, for racing for two days. Uh, it was a unique setup, and I think I just gave my horses that fraction too much work, but the first day didn't knock them about. Uh, for the second day, because they were fit enough yeah, to but were you break after the first day and you get a bet on the second day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so only on the second day, I, I think I wrote two or three winners and a few place getters, uh, we had, I should say, um, and from one day to another, I was on bottom of the world there and top of the world the next, next day. day. So that's yeah. racing, you know. Who was riding those horses for you then? Um, it was the amateur. Um, Terry Kane... All that matter, right? I think it might have been before Charlie. It might have been Charlie Prow and a few jockey. That's two I can remember, anyhow. And, and um, a fellow called George Williams later on. Yeah. What was Charlie Prow's horse that won all those races? Yeah, what was that horse? Um, what was Charlie Prow's horse that won that succession of races all those years ago? Barrett's in the Miller's Guide, of course, which I don't even think exists anymore, but. Um, uh, what was the name of it? It's on the tip of my tongue. But one of those, all those country races. Yeah, I, I, like I know the horse too. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm the same. Uh, great fellow, Charlie Prow. And yeah. he's still going. Yeah, absolutely. So the early days in, in Roma there, and then you graduated, you moved on to Toowoomba after um, that? Yeah, I, I used to, I think I was trained in Roma for about 16 years, and the picnics were always a great thing. And sometimes we had the, at the finish, we end up with 20, 30 horses. At one time, I drank, think I trained. 11 out of 12 races or something like that. Really? Yeah, something like that. Um, and it uh, might have been 9 out of 12. Uh, and I trained a program at Roma one day. had five winners. Um, Any prices? Uh, yeah, I think one was, yeah. yeah. Mm. And were you setting them up to, to bed in those days as well? No, it was, wasn't such a big thing then. Um, it was just to win a race and, and some of the owners did bet and yeah. they, they bet well. We had some good partners out there. Yeah, uh, and um, it was funny how um, we would just get a big enough kick out of winning at the picnics, and you would win a, a normal race. You know, yeah. uh, everybody got excited, and they were all just we used to call them one timers. They'd only race once of the year at the picnics and get a horse, and, and then it become two months in the paddock, and then it become a bit more difficult. But I was lucky when it become two months in the paddock, I really shined. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I had a bit of luck there. Yeah. Mm. Like trying five or six winners every meeting. Yeah. Mm. Back in those days, there wouldn't have been any treadmills or or walking machines, perhaps? Did you just have to get them fit on a, the track? We had a dam at the back. We used to swim, Boone. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, used to, we used to swim. Uh, but when, you know, it, uh, it was only just a run, one track at Bassett Park, and it was sand, mm-hmm. and that's all we had to work on. I used to go around the road sometimes and just to give them a break and go up the back lanes where the cattle go. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a different setup, but, but um, most of the owners were good fellas, and you'd go down to the pub for a drink uh, post race. What's the name of that horse, Mike? Yeah, Miss Petty. Oh, yeah, yes, I remember it. How now. many a row did you win? Mm, I'm not sure. I'm trying. It's a hell of a lot. I'm going on, much. going on Google here, and there are a number of stories on Charlie, but you've got to actually pay for them on a. Yeah, credit cards. That was an incredible <laughs> sequence of wins anyway. Yeah. So, Barry, from your training in those days to in recent times, or, in the, you know, uh, during the, the, your, your heyday there when you had all those good horses, you know, 80s, 90s into the 2000s, how much of your training differed from those early days when you were training at Roma on that surface there? Um, I, I thought when I was at Roma there was a, a trainer there called Jimmy McCormack. Uh, I thought he was basically a shade better than me as a trainer. But he unfortunately uh, won the Charleville Newmarket on the way home. The car crashed and 
and two of him and another fellow were killed. Oh, really? And uh, it was quite tragic, really. It was at, a, at one of those crossings in the country where you've got to nearly pull up to go, go over the railway line and come around, and they just failed to do that. And now, that was, um, I, I think he, he was a fairly good trainer, and we better than me at that, at that stage. Uh, my training improved when I went to Toowoomba. Why? Um, I think I'd become friends with Jimmy Atkins. And well, he actually he actually asked me to go down to Toowoomba. He sent me a nice letter, which has been lost, that is telling me that it's time I moved all because I was sending horses from Roma to him, and they wouldn't in Brisbane. And Dalsonics won. Uh, there was a few horses uh, that the oh, Indian line. She won a six straight down when I was sent it to him, and then she ended up running second in the Oaks to uh, Lone Star. Um, he uh, and he sent me a nice letter and just said, "Oh, I think it's thanks for what you've done." He said, "I think it's time you come down here," and uh, so that that made me mind up. I said, "The next good horse I get, or oh, Vale Kingdom." He was a good horse, but he went down to Norm McCullum. He won ten straight out. Ten straight? Uh, no, no, I'm telling a lie. Uh, nine straight. And what tracks are you talking about? But he won ten about? races. He got beaten one day in the in the, at Roma. Sorry. What tracks are we talking about when he won those sequence of wins? Ah, uh, he won at St George, and he went to all the country cup, uh, country tracks. Um, Mitchell, that's another meet that we a nice track that we missed, and uh, he went to all those places, and he won ten, uh, nine out of ten. Uh, ended up winning ten, and then he went down to um, Norm McCullum, and ended up in the win. I think he ended up winning the Prime Minister's Cup and the Queensland Cup. Mm. So you, you eventually moved to Brisbane. Jimmy Atkins, he... Uh, uh, oh, that was after, yeah. After Toowoomba. Jimmy stayed in Toowoomba all of his life, didn't he? Yes, yes. Where did he... Was he from northern New South Wales? He did, uh, yeah. northern rivers. The northern rivers. And he tells the story that they had an old truck and they brought the horses to Toowoomba yeah. and they had to unload the truck and ride them up the range. Is that right? And, yeah, and, and that was a good, one of the stories I do remember. Well, the truck couldn't... Broke down. Well, just couldn't get up the... Oh, that's Steve Hill, yeah. yeah that's Steve Hill. So, so Jimmy had to lead them up or ride them up? R- ride them and let them yeah. up, yeah. He was but a just, legend, wasn't he? Was. He? he was a legend. He was, he was yeah. a great fellow and he was a legend. And he taught me um, a few things. One, he said, never sack a horse until you take it to Albion Park. Well, that's that's finished, you know. And then he said, the other thing is, never sack them until you put blinkers, blinkers on. Okay. And I always remember that. And, you know, back in 1981, I think it was... I've become good friends with him. The only thing that I can, uh, I can always remember, uh, he said to me, uh, always start a horse um, at, Al- at Albion Park. Well, that was finished, as, as we said. And he, he hated, um, not hate, but he disliked uh, Wally Lewis because he reckons he stole all the fun off um, Alan Langer. Oh, he's happy. <laughs> <laughs> he's a great Alan Langer no, was ad- admirer, and he, he used to say that, Oh, and you know, I uh, that that Lang is um, he's just a genius. He makes Lewis look good. <laughs> I, I never agreed with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Well, they were equally as good as each other. Yeah, that <laughs> but it tells us how good a man he was. For, obviously, to invite you to hit track where he was the leading trainer to come there, yeah, yeah, one no, of his opponents. Yes. So you know that sort of says the man he was. That tells and us a lot, doesn't he, it? He joked to me a couple of horses come down and won races, and he said, "Oh, I could have had that, you know." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he, he was a nice gentleman. What were his best horses, Jimmy? Oh, geez, he had heaps of them just yeah. now, and uh, he won race. He, I think he won Prince Ruling. Um, uh, he had a good horse, Prince Anton, as well. Oh, yeah, he had so many good horses. Yeah, he had yeah. lots of good horses, you know. Mm. And he, you know, he won races from the VRC Oaks with just now, I think. Yeah. And he won races from there all the way up. Sovereign Chief, mm. yeah, Prince Ruling. Uh, he had the. Didn't he have Dalrello? I think he may. Yeah, I yeah of course Tony's, he did. Yeah, he Tony did. Yeah, had yeah, worked with Dalrello yeah, yes. in those days. Tony Gollan's dad, didn't he? That's, that's right. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. He did too. Um, just back to the creek. Why did Jim say that? Why the creek? Because he, he uh, was just told um, off air to um, my friend here, and he had a horse called Chuchakoy, and I think by memory was getting beaten at Warwick and all these little country races, and then he took him to the creek, and I think he won seven straight or eight straight at the creek. Tuchikoi. T-U-C-H-E-K-O-I or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was just one example. He had many good creekers. Mm. And he tried tried every horse at the creek. What was the surface there at the creek that everyone talks about? 
It was, that's what I was telling you about, those fellas, when they get the sand out of their eyes for about three days after the races, um, it was a pretty coarse sand, um, and um, a kickback was horrific from what I can gather. They weren't allowed to use binoculars, uh, goggles, they weren't allowed mm-hmm. to use goggles. Um, I don't know if the present day jockeys would handle it too good, mm-hmm. but the old jockeys, uh, they would, uh, Tony uh, uh, Russell Maddock and all those mm. fellas are just geniuses. What's and going on here, Steve? Yeah, just a fire alarm. I just hope it's a false alarm. You didn't light up a cigarette or something. <laughs> Peter Moody might have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> just in regards to Tony Earhart, he was your best man at your wedding, wasn't he, Tony He's Earhart? Best, best man at my wedding, uh, at my uh, wedding, as well as I lived in the same room with him for four years. Uh, yeah. Two years, two years. Yeah. Yourself and Margaret had a significant milestone. Your, your wife, Margaret, didn't you, this, this particular year? Uh, oh, yeah, we've, uh, we've been married 50 years. 50 years, yeah. Wow. yeah. Tell me about how you hounded Margaret, your words. Uh, how many times did you ask her out before she said yes? This is a record. Look, was I was 17 or 27, I was best friends with her brother. Uh, she didn't have anything what to do with me, but I am pretty sort of insistent. And uh, finally she... Uh, so what, every day, every week, every month? You oh, know? I think this was over a period of about a couple of years, I think. Wow. And what, she just swore her down. She said yes. <laughs> yeah, she, she finally gave up. <laughs> oh, Wonderful story. But she's, she's a marvellous lady. I've met Margaret. I haven't seen her for a long time, but she's just a lovely lady, isn't she? Yeah, real she is. Quietly spoken. Um, just, a, just a real mm. lady. Yeah. yeah, she's been a great help to me, I can assure you. Yeah. Barry, you spoke about um, Tony Erhardt, but you had a really good association with Michael Pelling, didn't you? Yeah, he yeah. Was he was great a great horseman, yeah, yeah. like great mind. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he, was, he was 10 years in front of himself, I think. He was, he was really a, 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 a good man, always inventing something or coming up with something. Um, he used to give me a lift home from the races, but I, that was too dangerous for me. So I used to, <laughs> he's a very fast rider. Oh, yeah. is that right? Yeah. <laughs> but a good fellow. Yeah. yeah. For those listeners that may not remember, he invented all sorts of things. But most famously, he invented the pacifiers, which initially were called, originally called the, the Pelling pacifiers. Yeah. He actually uh, produced them. He put the mesh. He made them as eye protectors. He called them first yes. off. And then he, a couple of trainers kept getting in contact with him that were using him said look my horse is just relaxed now it's gone to sleep um it was fiery i'll put these pacifiers so then that's then the name changed but that's why he developed them originally and then another comp company got involved because i don't think he had the patent on it and mm. the rest is history but he fish bait all sorts of things that they rode the horse nude um do you remember yeah. that oh um, yeah yeah he, that he poster he, that was very hard very yeah that was very controversial <laughs> uh, where because he, he's so muscly too this was in his more senior years he's 40s he still had this great physique and he rode a horse naked there on the, the, the course proper you said you couldn't see for nuts that day remember <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah no i'm joking barry, barry tell us about 1998 i've got this spread it must have been from the sunday mail a great article written by bart sinclair yeah. Um, talking about all of the, the highlights, mainly Queensland highlights and lowlights, unfortunately, when you read some of these stories here um, that went wrong in that particular year. But you you got a big tick. You got a big um, uh, tick from, from Bart because you won the, the premiership that year. Tell us about it. it went, apparently, it went right down to the wire on that last day. Yeah, there was uh, John Hawkes um, and uh, Alan Bailey yep. and myself. And um, the funny part of it, that story is uh, John being the type of fellow he is, John Hawkes, um, somebody asked him about, one of the reporters asked him about two months, uh, two weeks, I think, it might have been three weeks before, and said, how are you going to get on, um, you know, in the premiership up there? And he said, oh, that Baldwin fellow, he said, he's, uh, he said, I'll blow him out of the water with my big guns. Uh, so that so was he okay. sent a lot of horses up to Wayne and, and Michael at the time. Oh yes, there. Yeah. Now they put they put some up, but in those days, I think our, our you know our city racing was much stronger than the provincial racing. So you know we were a bit lucky there, and uh, so I had no answer to that when he said I'll blow that young young fellow. Well, I think he thought I was young then, um, he, out of the water. So I just said to uh, Gordon Lomas, I think it was. And I said, oh, just, just say I, I'm in trouble because all I've got is a, he's got big guns and all I've got is a musket. <laughs> <laughs> How satisfying was it? Was he there the last day when you won that? 
No, he wasn't. No. Uh, the boys were there. They were quite good and graceful. Yeah, just to explain to our listeners, uh, yeah, they had a satellite operation, Mike, in Brisbane, Tanner Lodge, mm. it was called, where Wayne and Michael headed it up. We had a lot of those satellite stables, didn't we? Uh, yeah. And Eric um, was there too. Was it Eric Woolston at yeah, the time? Yeah, Bart Cummings had a satellite stable and uh, Gay Freedman. Waterhouse had one, mm. Freeman's with um, a guy called Ross Cathwell used to run the Freeman one. And Barry Campbell, who's now, of course, back in Tassie, he ran Gay Waterhouse's operation in Brisbane. That's right, yeah. 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 And a guy they, called Eric Wilson. Most of them came and went, didn't they? They did. Why didn't they last, you reckon, those satellite stables? Even Peter Moody ran Bill Mitchell's one, didn't he? Yeah. That worked. Yeah, I uh, I think we, I'm sure these days New South Wales is far superior to us. But in, that, in those days, I think they just underrated the Queensland horses just a bit. You know, the, the city horses, I think. They, they were sending up horses here that were just win at Gosford or couldn't win at Gosford and they couldn't couldn't we handle our city horses. They could handle the you know, Bedesert and all those places. Uh, that's my theory in here. Yeah. Look, we're broadcasting here. That fire alarm was a false alarm, thank, thankfully. It wasn't moody any cigarettes. Um, here we are at Club Pine Rivers, north side of Brisbane. It's a fantastic venue. Why not come out? It's a big bowls tournament, of course, wrapping up, and they've already arrived, some of the some of the bowlers, if we can call them that. We'll take a break on Racing HQ, and then Peter Moody will join us, Barry Baldwin, of course, Michael Maxworthy here as well. Here we are broadcasting from Club Pine Rivers. Peter Moody, how are you, Pete? Morning, Stephen. You're going to be at this club later today. We thought you set the fire alarm off a moment ago. <laughs> no, I've just lit a smoke up, but I'm not in the building. <laughs> yeah, Jim Cassidy's going to be speaking as well today. It's a big sellout. Yeah, yeah, Pumper and I are um, there for a sportsman's lunch uh, this afternoon, so very much looking forward to it. Tell me about your memory of working with Barry Baldwin for all those years you are in Queensland there at Eagle Farm. Yeah, well, probably my earliest memories of Barry, a young boy in Western Queensland, and he was uh, one of the blokes that sort of moved from the bush to the big time, I think initially to Toowoomba from memory, and then on to Brisbane, and, you know, he, he's really become one of the doyens of Queensland racing, you know, well-respected, uh, you know, had a very successful career, been a very good trainer for a lot of years, and... Uh, you know, certainly wishing him and Marg you know, all the best in retirement. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be a Johnny Farnham retirement. Um, <laughs> he, he left our shores and returned again. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, I've known Barry since my childhood, known of him since my childhood, and, and I've really enjoyed a good professional relationship with him uh, ever since in my career. And in those days, you're all chatting together in the morning, that you would have picked up things from each other. Oh, listen, uh, you, you always do, and, and still to this day, you know, I, I really enjoyed the camaraderie when I was a young bloke at the Eagle Farm when I first kicked off there uh, in my role as a foreman for Bill Mitchell many years ago, and, uh, you know, uh, the likes of Barry, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of names there, Johnny Fitzgerald, uh, you know, Roy Dawson, Tommy Dawson, uh, you know, some great trainers and some great horsemen, and... Uh, um, you were very silly if you didn't learn and pick up little things along the way, you know. Roy Dawson was always very guarded, wasn't he? He didn't say a lot, Barry. Billy no, Cooper didn't no, say but, much either. <laughs> no, no, but when you sat down and, and uh, you know, if you had a problem or had an issue or needed a hand with something, uh, they were always willing. They mightn't have been uh, put it out there and forthcoming, but if you went, went to them, um, you know, they were always very forthcoming and helpful, I reckon. Mm. But it's interesting, isn't it, when you reflect on some of our leading trainers now in the country, and you've you know you've been all over the world with Black Caviar and basically a household name, and you know Barry's the same. Cut your teeth through humble beginnings in Country Queensland. John O'Shea's another one. I mean, it just jumps into my head. Country Queensland. This goes on. Oh yeah, listen. I, I I think it's probably the the upbringing, the very grounded uh, upbringing that we probably all had, um, and the old adage, hard work makes good luck. Um, and, and I think, uh, and Barry would probably attest to that, um, you know, and I'm not taking the mickey out of people, uh, with a metropolitan upbringing at all, but, uh, there's no doubt in the world it was probably a, a lot tougher, a lot harder, uh, without a lot of, uh, the fanfare of life, uh, for, for sort of metropolitan kids. Uh, you know, you, you learnt to, uh, do everything, and uh, you know, I know as a kid growing up, you, you didn't get a saddle if you, until you could ride a horse. The horse didn't get shoes on until you learnt to shoe it, and all those sort of things. And they're things that stood us in good stead probably for the rest of our lives and careers. 
You wouldn't have heard us, but uh, the, the boss here at the club, uh, who you've probably spoken to, Craig Lawman, was just telling us a story where he raced a horse with you and won a succession races at Ipswich and got horse of the year and you had a beer with him. And he said, you said to him, oh, look, I'm just going to drop, um, was it Sarah mum. off at the time? Or your mum? Yeah. And then I'll, I'll be back. And they thought, oh, yeah, that's a million to one, Peter Moody coming back. And you, you turned up again and, and went straight over their table and he spoke very highly of you. And you haven't really changed, Peter. I mean... Have you through through fame uh, in racing? Is still that salt of the earth guy that everyone can talk to? Oh, I'd like to think I haven't. I've probably got a bit older and a bit grumpier uh, <laughs> along the way, but uh, no, I'd like to think I haven't changed. Uh, you know, we've uh, called a spade a shovel and uh, and haven't left too many dogs tied up around the place. Always paid my way and got on with life and tried to think that I could repay helping younger people these days, as was given to me and afforded to me when I was sort of kicking off in the career. You know, it's uh, it's a hard uh, caper that we've involved ourselves in. It's a tough caper. And, uh, you know, it's uh, you know, been very fulfilling for me. And if I can help someone else do that along the way, I'm always willing to try and do it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, can I just ask you about some of these horses that I'm sure our listeners want to know about? I wish I win. What a great training effort. He got so close and you went through that, you know, well-documented the preparation, you know, the gap between runs and all that sort of stuff. But he almost got there, Pete, in the Tab Everest. What a terrific performance. Yeah, well, we were head wrong, weren't we, uh, in the Everest? So it's, uh, you know, there's not many races you walk away when you get $3 million for running second and you're disappointed. Um, it's, it's quite staggering, but uh, you know he, he ran terrifically well. He only had the two runs for the spring, and uh, you know with a horse like him, he, he, he probably and undoubtedly maybe a better fourteen hundred, sixteen hundred metre horse. But when when the money's there at that twelve hundred metre trip, um, you, you're stupid not to attack it. And uh, you know he's probably in the top echelon of sprinters that are around at the moment. So. Uh, um, being brutally honest, everything will be geared toward him being there again next year, all being well. And uh, um, you know, that's actually some top, some chance that uh, you know the Queensland public might be getting close up because he's going to have a nice break and he'll have a light sort of back end autumn preparation, maybe a run in Brisbane in in the early winter. And and the one thing I did find this year is. I, it took him forever and a day to, to clean up and get right in the coat. And I sort of made the decision then and there that I would bring him to Queensland next year and, and just try and give him that bit of a head start uh, on some of the southern horses, as, as you see. And, and it's unbelievable, and we've seen it for many a year. The horses that come out of the Queensland winter, they just seem to have such an advantage into the spring in general condition and, and well-being with the weather, you know, so... I'll probably go down that road, but I wish I win uh, later this year or, or yes, later so. next year, I should say. Are you thinking TJ, maybe 10,000, something like that? Yeah, yeah, no, I'd think something like that. He probably kicks off in something like the William Reed at home uh, and then probably goes up to the TJ Smith. And then uh, the logical race for him is the All Age, the 1400 weight for age in Sydney, but it's only two weeks after the TJ and he loves a three or four week break, this bloke. So mm. I would suggest maybe something like the BTC Cup or. or whatever it's called these days, something along those lines. The race you won with Black Caviar? Yes, yeah, yeah, not many moons ago. He's not Black Caviar, he's the same colour, that's about as close as he'll get. I think about you, Peter, just watching you nurture this horse through, and you, you talk about that 21 days between how he likes it. You, you, I guess you could have run him a giga kick, but you seem to be very patient. There's just so much money out there, but you're reluctant to deviate for the betterment of the horse? Well, well, you have the benefit, um, actually, these races are worth so much money, so why would you deviate for inferior prize money races, to be quite honest? And, and I'm at a stage of my career, let's, let's be honest, it, it's about the money, you know? It's about putting cream on the cake. I'm not going to lie. Mm. And uh, you, they're not robots. You don't have to run them every day. He's a lightly raced five-year-old now. Uh, and uh, there's no reason we've seen it with uh, Eduardo and Nature Strip and that. If you look after these geldings, right. they can run from it. You know, he can run in the next four bloody Everest or, or BTC Cups or, or Lightning Handicaps. Um, Provided so, you look after him in the meantime, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, and it's no secret that he was born and bred with a deformity, so he's, he's uh, 
a horse that we've always had to maintain a little bit physically, and I want to keep it that little bit physically. I don't want it to become major physically. Is it noticeable, Pete? We saw those pictures of him as a, as a youngster, but even now, is it still noticeable if you have a look at his legs? Oh, listen, I've, I've probably got 10 in the yard with, with similar things, offset knees, back on the knee, turns in, turns out, all those sort of things. Um, but they're, they're the horses that you, that you have got to manage and, you know, you've just got to work with nature, not against it and, and not stress it and be do as less concussive training and racing as you can is, is going to create longevity into the career. And when you've got one with ability, you're happy to be patient. If they haven't got ability, you probably tend to be a little bit more robust and, and assessing where they sit in the food chain. But when you know you've got one at the top end, um, you, you tend to look after it. Of course, you talked about Brisbane. Of course, the horse that beat you in the, the Tab Everest, uh, think about it, came through Brisbane. And the Melbourne Cup winner, of course, without a fight, came through Brisbane as well. Pete, I was disappointing this filly. What's happened with Roll On High? She's not in the 1,000 guineas. Well, she's another one that's uh, a little bit soft in the knees and, and a little bit uh, backward physically. And uh, first racing prep, and uh, she won the Desirable very well. Uh, and, and just pulled up telling us she'd probably come to the end of her preparation. Uh, for 10 days, it was very tempting to, 10 or 12 days, they're very tempting to try and have her in the 1,000 guineas, but uh, experience tells me you don't win them unless you're right, and uh, she wasn't going to go there 100%, so we opted to put her out, and uh, there's a lot of nice options for her going forward. She's a sort of filly, and Barry would be well-versed on this, uh, and I actually touched base with Luke Nolan. Luke, although hadn't ridden her in a race, has done all the work on her at home, and we both earmarked this filly as a possible Stradbroke filly as a three-year-old because of a sort of dynamic uh, turn of foot. And, um, you know, we reckon that would be a sort of race we could target with a filly like her as a three-year-old. Her sectional last start when she won that race was the quickest of the entire meeting, and I think it was the quickest 1,400 all week at Fleming to roll on high. Very good filly, very good filly. And uh, yeah. I'm fortunate I've got the sort of bulk of my team at the moment are made up with nice three-year-old fillies and progressive fillies, and uh, she's certainly uh, near to the top of that. Peter, can I just get a comment on a couple of these horses are hard in the market? Obviously, She Dances is going really well. She's racing super, uh, this little mare, and in form. She takes a three-kilo weight hike tomorrow, but I think uh, offsetting that is the fact that the bottom weight's only got 55, but she's only two off the limit. So she looks well-placed again with Linda Meach on board. Uh, should, should be very hard to beat. You, you could nearly anchor oh. her at the back end of the day. Okay, back to mare's grade, of course, too. Hmm. Yeah. Chain of Lightning, Pete. This horse wasn't uh, disgraced at all last start. Chain of Lightning in the Rupert Clark, the Group 1. No, she's going super. When you go back to her two winter runs and the Stradbroke and the Tiara, from awkward draws and hard runs, uh, I think she measures up well in this race. She goes there as good as she possibly can be. Third run in, this is a target race for her. So she's just got to be good enough. She's, uh, I couldn't be more pleased with her. That was a strange run the other day too, was it? Race where that Najem Sahail broke away and the rest was like a wall behind chasing. Yeah, it ended up a terrible race when you see those sort of moves in a race where something six or eight lengths in front and it gets horses off the bridle and chasing early and, and uh, that's where the good riders come to the fore. They use the other members of the field to tow them up to them and, uh, you know, the forms ended up all right. Najem Sahail, whatever his name is, he's won again and... Uh, I think Spacewalk has been a very small margin since, so I think that race will be a pretty strong form race. My mare's bounced off it very well. I, I think that tough run will really bring her on for the 1,400 tomorrow. Peter, this quick star, she's one of the best maiden fillies in Victoria by Seamus Award, and Skybird's the favourite for the 1,000 guineas. This girl was good without luck behind that filly last probably time. Should have been, should, probably should have been placed, probably arguably could have run second and, and troubled the winner. Um, she's in that bracket of nice three-year-old fillies that I've got and uh, probably made the decision easier to put roll on high out but I knew I had this filly at home uh, to represent the stable in the race. Uh, very good filly. Uh, has she got the race smarts? Probably a little bit questionable. She lacks experience against a few of her opposition here but given even luck and running uh, she'll run a hell of a race at odds there tomorrow. And red sensations in the market, a red sun sensation in race nine. Yeah, had his chance at Kyneton the other day, got there a bit too soon and floated and got nutted late by a tough old horse. He's another lightly raced four-year-old. But it looks a nice race for him, and I think Williams will be better for having that, another ride on him. And I think you'll probably see him ridden a little bit more conservative tomorrow, probably not presented as soon, and that could be the difference. He's, he's building to a win, and it's a 
terrific prize, prize money race. I think it's a half million dollar race for these country cup horses, and he snuck in courtesy running second. So uh, he'll be in the mix. Um, nice horse. And also the extra Queenslander, Central Queensland uh, Mayor, Divine Purpose, first run for you. Yeah, no, that, that's an interesting one. Um, Clinton Taylor sent her down off the back of just sort of feeling that it probably wasn't suitable races for her, certainly in central Queensland where he's based or, or even the mayor's races in Brisbane. So uh, she seems a nice mayor. Um, sort of building as if uh, she's probably at the right time of year coming into the summer months, uh, as long as she can handle firm decks. I expect her to run on well tomorrow, but she'd be very well placed sort of going forward second, third and fourth up, I reckon, around that sort of, you know, 1,800 to 2,100 metre bracket, particularly in Mayor's grade. She's certainly shown enough to suggest that she can uh, win a few races, I reckon. Well, good luck on Saturday. Pete, one final thing. I had a bit of a chuckle watching social media. There was only a short clip of you <laughs> getting into a, a yellow, is it an old-fashioned mini minor? It looked like it was beaten up a bit. Tell us about that and how, did you actually get inside it? Were you able to close the door? Yeah, no, I got in and I even got it running, uh, Max. Yeah, Luke Nolan uh, has this little yellow mini moke that he brings to track work every blue moon and uh, I uh, decided I was going to hide it on him. Um, but when I got in it, I quickly realised that the seat's welded to the ground. <laughs> you can't move it back. And I had a bit of trouble getting my knees under the steering wheel, but I got in the bugger and uh, and uh, I, was, uh, I was able to do a little lap in it. So... Uh, Getting out was a yeah. problem. I'm thankfully they didn't video me getting out. I had to back out. You had to reverse it. out. <laughs> There's someone breathing on the line, Pete. Guess who it is? Who's about to join us? Oh, my big, Ger- big German, big mate. German. Eh? Yeah, God he's there. Him, Listen mate. to him. You there, Kelly? Oh, oh Mr. Moody. Jeez, I think Christ, you're getting him off. He's been on there half an hour. <laughs> uh, no. Well, uh, he's lucky I didn't have his address. I would have popped over. <laughs> Pine Rivers where I'm staying because I think it's his shout. So have a great day, boys. Have a a great weekend and uh, wishing Barry and Marg uh, all the best. uh, Happy and healthy retirement. And uh, it's been great to know you, Baz, and congratulations on a wonderful career. Yeah, thanks, Peter. And you'll be here later. Thanks, Peter. Peter Moody joining us. Kelly Sweet is about to tell us a really interesting story about Barry Baldwin watching one of Kelly's horses work. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Stephen. Take me through this very interesting story. Uh, well, just first, I'd just like to wish Barry and Margaret all the best. I mean, I come here in 1994, November. I think Barry might have been here probably six months before me. And, I mean, when I come here, I mean, you know, there was two trainers that, that are, well, three, JJ Atkins, but um, Alan Bailey and um, Barry Baldwin, you know, you just respected them blokes so much. And... Um, you're never frightened to ask them about anything and, and they tell you and I have so much um, um, respect for those guys and Barry Baldwin I mean he's been a great trainer even when he went to Macau I mean it used to amaze me how I think he must have learned at the Macau how he could uh, keep a horse up most trainers keep him up for six probably a little break and you get eight weeks out eight runs out of a horse Barry could get 12 or 14 runs out of a horse and They'd be just as fresh at the um, at the at the start of their uh, prep, but um, yeah, Barry. He's um, we used to sit in the grandstand, me and Barry. Um, we'd only be about six feet apart, and I remember having this chestnut with two white socks, having, trying to get him for his first start in a race at Kilcoy, and and every time I'd work him, he could run along, you know, and I could hear this clock click. <laughs> and, I, and I knew Barry was clocking him, and I thought, oh, sugar. Um, so anyway, um, I, I, we used to work him early, about 4 o'clock, and, and uh, I told the staff, whatever you do, when I gallop this horse, make sure you put bandages from his fetlocks to his knees. So I did that for about a, did that for about a month. Anyway, we go to the Kilcoy races, and... I put this horse in, Barry didn't know his name, and, and Barry had one in it, and they backed their horse, and, and it sort of got our horse out to about $5, and we ended up having a good bet on it, and look, it should have been $2 on its work, and I could see Barry looking at this horse walking around the saddle and closing before the race, and he said, that horse looks very familiar, Kelly, 
But he said, I haven't seen him for a month or six weeks. He said, that's not that horse that could run up. And I said, oh, yeah. He said, where's he been? I said, oh, I'll bow. he might have put some bandages on his front legs. And sure enough, my horse won easy, and he wasn't happy. But, uh, yeah, look, it was, they were good times in the Kurs, but you had to be quick to beat Barry. He taught me a lot about barrier trials and form and, you know, horses with shoes on and plates on. So I can't speak highly enough about yeah. the, the man. Yeah, he's always ran second too at Kilcoy, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it did. It did. Yeah, he wasn't happy. He was not happy. But I could, I could, I could hear this clock clicking in his pocket all the time. I, I thought, what's going on here? But sure enough. But anyway, is a good worker, Barry. Yeah. Sorry, Kel, I was just asking him. He used yeah. to clock. I think he used to clock the Chief. Could he really gallop? Oh, I could he gallop did. sensational on the track. Yeah. And the only reason I used to clock him is so then we had a guide what ours, ours had to run. <laughs> if we run a second slower than Chief to be, you'd You're gallop. You're doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that day at Kilcoy, Barry? I remember that day very well. <laughs> I, I cursed you all the way home. <laughs> I, you're a little bit like um, Peter Moody. He said to me, he's got good memory. Um, uh, Michael just said before, uh, he's he's got a good memory. I said, he sure has. Um, I, one day he done me a favour and I said, I'll buy you a beer. Six months later, he come up to me and said, you got to buy me that beer? <laughs> so so we, we got a six-pack. He he drank four and I drank two. <laughs> Oh, he's always crying poor, that Moody. Oh, you know, when, he, when he got suspended, we, I met him up in Rocky and I won the Rocky Cup and he said, oh, we'll go out for dinner. He invited the whole of Rockhampton and he said, I can't, I, I can't pay, I'm unemployed. Cost me a fortune, but yeah, no, no good on old Pete. You've been a bit filthy during the week. Your horse was terrific there, United front, backed off the mat, ran second. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that was a bit unlucky. And Starzam didn't have a lot of luck the other day neither. But anyway, we can't complain. And what about the filly tomorrow, um, Kelly? Is she running in the last? In Compass? No, pro- uh, probably um, three of them won't run in Compass. Um, Feminine Fatale and Stargam. They all grew awkward. And mm. a three-year-old race is a pretty pretty tough race. It is, isn't it? She's going well, yep. though, isn't she, Femme Fatale? Yeah, she's going good. It was a good win the other day, good tough win the other day. But it's a... Pretty pretty strong race, and I've got an awkward barrier. Yeah, that encompass the other day. I mean, he's run the arm, um, mm. the hands off the clock late because he wasn't entitled to get over them, and a sit spread. He's come from last. Yeah, no, it was a good, it was a good strong win. You know, he's got a beautiful pedigree and a nice horse, and he, he, he thinks he's bulletproof since he's won a maiden. So, um, probably probably wait another go. He drew eighteen alley. So, Barry's um, just writing his name down for next time. Yeah, I don't clicking? worry. <laughs> He would know. He wouldn't. He doesn't miss a beat. I'd I'd be at the trials and I say, "Are you seeing anything you like, Barry?" And he'd just smile. Just smile. Yeah. Thanks Him for coming on, friend. Kelly. No trouble. All the best, Barry. Kelly. Yeah, great. Kelly. Thanks, mate. Kelly, sweeter. So, just on that, Macau. How did you do that? What Kelly was saying. Well, as I said, I you know they never went out of the stable, and you had to learn to do it. Yeah. I had to learn to do it quick. I was lucky. I trained a hundred winners my first first season. Then no one had ever done it before. Uh, just for the fact that you had to back off them and do a little bit, They'd, and the, and they over there they had the rating systems. If you're on a bad race, you went down too. It was all legal, but you had to do it le- legally in your training. You know, you'd have a horse, you know, not fit, so you wouldn't back it, and then you'd back off, and then a month later you'd produce him fit. And it was it's just a playing the system, and doing this. Um, we had an old horse called Happy Win. I think I had him the whole four years I was there, and he's never out of class five, uh, six, I think. Um, so I might have got to class five, uh, and he'd, he'd win a race, and then and then you'd then you'd back off him. And my wife used to feed, bring carrots to the stables and feed him, and and then we started getting um, barley mash and a, a hot mash for all the horses, and and they just thrived on it, you know, a bit of attention and mm. and that. But this horse you'd you'd then you get him back on a class six and you back him. I think he, for my memory, I think he might have won seven races in the in the four years for me. So he well well and more paid his way. And he was there from the time I started and he was there from the time I finished. Yeah, that's an extraordinary achievement to go over there to Macau, as you said, break that record, more than 100 winners in a season. No one had ever done it before. And how did that materialise? And 
that would have been just incredible because they were big putters in those the putters over there, weren't they? Betting and oh they, yeah, slings coming back, and you would have been living like a king, I would think. And when I when I first went over there, a fellow called Noel Thompson went over there as my assistant. Yeah. I remember the, Noel? Yeah, he was a loud loud assistant, and we were. Uh, I think the, the second starter we had, uh, I was lucky enough at one at thirty three to one, and uh, it had had. Had you set it up? Sort of, yeah. sort of, I just said, we've got to win a race quick. Yeah. And I was back on the good feed. And <laughs> oh, yeah, and I, and I think we'd been there about eight or ten weeks. We got him the day we arrived, mm. and we were lucky enough to, to, to for him to win yeah. his first start for first us. Start. And I think it was 33 to 1, and, mm. and just from there on, it, uh, you know, it started. Snowballed, to, yeah. It snowballed. But I only got three horses when I first got there. I was very disappointed. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. There's a club sitting. So you needed to show them something straight away. Oh, yeah, straight away. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And Michael Carr was there for a while with you? Oh, it was later on. Yeah, Michael come over. He was there. Jimmy Byrne was there for for a while. Uh, Gary Baker was one of the first ones. Uh, Chris Vaughan. Um, uh, I forget somebody here. Duff, uh, Duffy ended up over there, Gavin Duffy. Christian Kenny Reith. Waller. Christian Reith wrote a lot yeah, of winners Yeah, Christian Reith was over there. Yeah. Yeah, there was many Australian. Was it a hard decision there. to get the, you know when you to, to leave Brisbane? Go there. It was hard because I just won a premiership, and it was a bit hard. Uh, and then uh, the last week I was training here, I won the Magic Millions uh, with Aramathia. Uh, it was a three hundred thousand dollar race then, I think, to the winner, to the winner. So it was a bit hard, but <laughs> I'd been over there a couple of times, had a look, and. I've seen the system, and I, I honestly thought I could do well. Mm. Why? Oh, I just look at And a uh, oh, quick story. Um, all the horses used to go one lap. Uh, it was only a 1,400-metre track. Dirt, wasn't it? Uh, sand. Sand. Yeah. Uh, there's a grass track there. Yeah. But all the horses used to go out the track and go one lap, one lap. And, and I said to Brent Thompson, he was over there, and I said to Brent, I said, one night at down at, the, at the, one of the hotels we went to, um, and I said, I said to Brent, I said, I, he said, what do you reckon? I said, I don't think they get enough work. I said, you know, you're feeding them good feed, and, and I don't think they get enough work. And they go to the pool, and they do one lap of the pool. And, and I did say to, to, to Brent, he said, well, if you think that, he said, why don't you go and do something about it? So, and I did. So I'd only been there about two weeks when he put that on me. And... Um, when I briefly, just before I left, a fellow called Odendal, uh, a South African, he ended up riding in Hong Kong too. Mm. And he come to me, so I hate you. And I said, oh, well, steady, now he's steady do two up. Laps. <laughs> yeah, he said, now I've got to do two laps. Oh. <laughs> he said, so we ended up good friends. And he told me some very uh, good stories about South Africa, Africa too, how the, in those days we talked about 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, and, um, yeah, it, it was just an experience, but uh, it was my opinion that they just weren't good. The people started copying, but they started copying. They did. Yeah. But over there then, like racing was huge in that, that period. You it was, was second to Hong Kong. household name over there. Yeah, it was it? second to Hong Kong. It was, so when yeah. you're walking down the street, were people going, you know, yeah, you, you, yeah, who you but, were? And... Uh, I think the Chinese name was Balwin. 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 Balwin, yeah. Okay. Mm. What was Brian York's name when he went to Asia, Michael? Super Clock. And how did they say it? <laughs> he used to have this uh, clock in his head, and the journalist used to call oh, him yeah. Super Clock, but it didn't come out that way. Now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wonder. It's great to visit Macau, isn't it? Like it's a fun, happening little city. And the Macanesian food's wonderful. Yeah, the you know, yeah. Chinese and Portuguese, yeah, mm. combined. Yeah. 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 So, Barry, of all your good horses, is there one particular horse? So we mentioned La Montagna, obviously, winning the Stradbroke. Baggio. Baggio was a beauty. Meg yeah. Zigo, the candy man in recent times. Uh, you know, there's so many of them. Yeah. Um, uh, Aramathia. Aramathia. And Matty Tremble ended up training for a while, didn't he? Yeah, he had a split in his hoof all, all his career, Aramathia. So he was another good, good horse and roulette. And, you roulette, know, You yeah. took roulette down to the Northern Rivers for its first start, didn't you? Down at, in, in a maiden at... Um, yeah. At uh, Lismore, and the owner got six to one. Yeah, was that the big maiden back then? Uh, it was a big maiden, but he was in the consolation oh, was because he? because he hadn't had a start. Oh, okay. You couldn't set him up for the big maiden at that time. Uh, well, I would have to start him, see, because... They probably got more money out of him on the punt in the consolation. Uh, and if you yeah. get on, that Grafton ring during that carnival was huge. Was huge. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So is there also, it might not be the best, but a soft spot. Obviously, the candy man, given what he went through with the jaw, and that was, was that a nine-hour surgery on his busted jaw? It was a nine-hour surgery, and it was uh, a, a girl in Toomba, Toomba uh, she had to, um, to teach him to re-eat. Um, um, it was just a mess, wasn't yeah, it? How many yeah, stitches did he have yeah. in his jaw there? Um, he um, had 46 screws, and the plates, uh, one was was six, seven inches, and the other, other two were, were about four inches. And it took nine hours, and it was the first time that it had been done in Australia. And uh, Steve uh, and his um, uh, crew up there at uh, uh, Gatton done a wonderful job. Mm. How did you get him to stop missing the kick all the time? Remember that day we were at Caloundra and he missed it with Damien Brown, he still won? That's six, six lengths. Um, six lengths or something. Yeah. How did you get him to, to get out better? He'd been on a... Um, a walker, um, and, and in those days, Matty Tremble was being somebody tied him up to the walker, and the walker actually took off. Um, one horse started galloping, and they were going around the circle, um, and um, uh, fellas next door, including um, Greg Hedges and and somebody else, jumped the fence to try and stop it. Yeah. I wasn't there, and yeah, when I come back, he'd had skin off his head. He wasn't hurt, and. It was lucky no horse was seriously hurt. They all stayed in their feet. But it was going around their good three-quarter pace in a little circle, you yeah, know. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so they finally stopped it. And so I didn't think anything of it. We got him off and had a look at him. His legs were good, had a bit of skin off his head and thought how lucky you were. And then we took him to the races about 10 days later and the stall shut in front of him and, and the horse just wasn't going to, he just wasn't going to jump. And he stood there, and I think I might have watched the race with you, Stephen. Yeah, you did, up and, on the chair. Yeah, there. and he, he was, he must have been 12 or 14 yeah. legs last. Yeah. And he, he so you think that incident had something to do with well, it, the, the gate flapping in front well, of him? Well, gate flapping, see? Yeah. So uh, then we had the curing from it, and and we took him to barriers again. He refused to jump, and Michael Carl come up. Uh, so we worked out a plan that uh, the, the BRC staff were very, very helpful I'm sure I bought him a couple of cartons of stubbies. And as he walked in, uh, in the, on the Friday jump-outs, um, there'd be four or five uh, horses in there, and they'd leave the gates open for him. And as he walked in, they'd let him trot in virtually. And, he'd, and so after about six of them, Michael Carr come up about six weeks in a row, he, so, he suddenly just got used to jumping again. Mm-hmm. And the last time, I think he nearly, nearly, he nearly went run over somebody getting in the stalls, and, and when, it, when they opened, he wow. trotted in. And, Amazing. Yeah, yes. and and then he just it come back to him. He mm. just, he never, I don't think he ever missed a start after mm. that. Yeah. And Priscilla Looker and Cassandra Smith are looking after him, are they down there? Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's doing wonderful things as a as a show horse here. And, yeah. and he wouldn't have been easy because he's a tricky horse, wasn't he? I know track work and that. You oh, had to yeah. have the right yeah. jockeys on him. Um, so they've obviously done a really good job with him with that little bit of dressage that he's doing. Yeah, most of the people that handled him after he left us have done a wonderful job with yeah, him. Yeah, so he's got a great life. Yeah. yeah. A couple of speeches I didn't mention, they're flying machines. Similar record at the end of the day. Hells uh, County. Yeah, Hells County and Burdigan Blues, flying machines. Yeah, Burdigan Blues was a great horse and, and, and an honest fellow. And I think we won in Sydney and Melbourne with him as well, one of the expressway stakes in Sydney. Uh, it's shit, Scriv rode him. And then we won the uh, listed race of Melbourne Cup Day in Melbourne with him. Oh, down the straight. Yeah, yeah. So he's, uh, he's he's been a wonderful horse. And he used to have at the finish, uh, if you put your uh, finger under his throat, he had a little whistling noise. And his throat would be pulp on the, on the, on the voice box. So no. he, he was slightly broken-winded. Okay. And, and Hells County got, ate the, the weed, is that right? He ate the weed. Stringholz, was it? Yeah, he won the pace setters at Gosford, I think. And then he ate the, ate the weed. Uh, uh, Gas Palin or something. Uh, no, it was no. Um, quite a common one. I should remember it. Um, and uh, uh, what's the... A dandelion, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, dandelion. Was. Dandelion. Okay. dandelion. Yeah, dandelion. Yeah. 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 And he ate that, and he lost all his muscle coordination. He was just a absolute wreck. He had the string holds in that. He got everything. Yeah. He had broken winded string holds. Gosh, he sounds oh, like yeah. me. And he would have been... Yeah, oh, he, he was a magnificent. Winning, winning, yeah. winning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and there's been other horses, you know, that have just been good Strawberry to Strawberry Malt was a good horse. Oh, she, and, yeah, she was... Did good, you train on the boil? 
Yeah, yeah on the boil. It says yeah, here on the boil a... is the horse that won the most races for you. That's some extraordinary amount of um, I think Kenny, Kenny Waller oh, okay. in the middle 24 of that, races. Yeah, he might have won some of those races in the middle because at the finish, I think Debbie ended up racing it on the boil. So, but he was he was quite a good horse. And he won more races for you than any other jockey, Ken Waller. Yes, he did. Yes, mm. I think Chris Munce might have been second. He's or, up there. Or Michael Carl. Yeah, and just as we leave it this morning, Barry, uh, the biggest plunge, the most money you've ever got out of a horse anywhere in the country. Where was that? Ah, uh, the horse called Rogues Realm. I think I can tell the story. Um, Cut a long story short, I, I rang a mate of mine and said this is the best maiden in Queensland. He got beaten at the coast, but Tony Hart said. He didn't know what he was doing, so I gave him six weeks break in between the coast. He went extremely well. We took him up to Fornil Park and gave him a gallop. Bruce um, McLaughlin's place. Yes, we, we went up there. I took him in the tours float. He Did had you know a, Bruce would be quiet about it, though? I was. Uh, yeah, and a horse, on it? a horse went straight past him. Uh, and I said, oh, geez, that's, I said this is the best maiden in Queensland. And another horse went straight past him, see, and beat him by two lengths. And, but there was two lengths of the rest of them. Anyhow, and I, I was very disappointed, and so I took him back. Cut a long story short, they rang me a week before he, this horse was supposed to start, and they said, you know that horse that beat him is in today, and we think he'll win. I said, oh, that's good. A prince, um, was Planet the, Ruler. Planet Ruler. Yeah. How many in a row did he win? Yeah. Oh, so then 12, I, 13, was it? Yeah, then I had a nervous week <laughs> with this horse, and we got into the races, and uh, I, I think he was... Um, Quite a quite a substantial win, I think. For member, I don't want to know no figures in these days, but it was about thirty thousand to me in those days. What price lot. did they go up? Who rode? Uh, he got six six or seven dollars. Brian York. Brian York. Where did he draw? Take us through the race. Was there any anxious moments, or did he win easily? Uh, he drew a little bit wide, if I remember correctly, ten or twelve, and then Brian put him straight. We had, we had the lead, so he put him straight up near the front. Uh, There's a horse called Abigail's Pride that Roy Dawson. Uh, backed it, ran a second. Me mate Tony Hart rode, rode it, mm. um, but um, they had a fortune on it too. I think Did so. It's just one of those maidens that was a big betting race. Wow. So uh, that must be very satisfying. That it's like Kelly Sweeter was saying to us recently, setting one up. He said he, find, he he loves doing things like that. Oh yeah, he you does. Know. He beat me one, as we said. Yeah. He beat me one day. <laughs> yeah. And you talk about horses going fast that used to clock. I reckon Bulldog Yates would have busted your clock a few times. Yeah, Roy used to let him oh, run. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marlon Delano yeah. used to just let him go yeah, every morning, yeah. didn't he? Mm. Yeah. And then he'd back him up on the Saturday. Yeah, he used to be yeah. some... He used to gallop, gallop them. He used to give them a good gallop, didn't he, Roy mm. Dawson? He, like, a good gallop. He'd, yeah. He'd give them a, uh, they'd always run a first of four, a faster first 400 than they would the last, mm. last 400. Yeah. And how do you like to work horses? I, like to work I know them. they're individual on that, but... I, I like to see them all hit the line. Yep. And I think Graham Cook might have been one of those people that helped instill that in, into me too. You want the last one yeah. the best. Yeah, the last furlong's mm. got to be the best in that, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's interesting our two biggest you know, biggest trainers, of course, in Sydney, you know, Gay Waterhouse, and we know that the horses, are, you know, they like them on the speed, and, and Chris Waller's the absolute opposite a lot of the time, isn't he? Even in trials, he just does hard, they hardly do anything in trials, you know, sitting back and... So it's interesting, the two gun trainers they're in Sydney, they're different styles. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And what about gave us up tomorrow, Barry, in the Malula Bar Cup? I see you've got a significant gear change. Yeah, I put blinkers on him. Um, he's always been field shy. He's got to come to the outside. He doesn't like other horses around him. Um, and I made another gamble too because I always make sure it's a golden rule. If you put blinkers on a horse, you must jump them out with the blinkers before you start. I think most trainers... What, so you know they're that. not going to miss the kick? Or? Yeah, so that's right, yeah. And, and you see horses sometimes get blinkers on the first time yeah. and they'll miss the kick. Um, so I put them on him, but this time I've broken the golden rule and I haven't put um, haven't put him to, to barriers with blinkers on. Now I'm hoping that he might just come out a little bit slow and Get a bit of cover. And get a bit of cover because he has been pulling a bit. Mm. And I know putting blinkers on a horse... It's pulling a bit, it's a bit risky, uh, but I'm just hoping. But I'm also going to instruct uh, Angela, who's a great girl, to listen, to let him run along. If he does jump out in front and does pull, let him run along for a couple of hurdles. No one seems to do that. Uh, you know, continual no. on all those old horses. Yeah. They, let them, they let them bowl along. And I just let him, let him bowl along. And then, and then after a furlong or so, just try and ease him back. 
So she'll have a decision to make as he jumps out. Yeah, and she's a smart girl. She'll yeah. handle it. All right. So a couple of Wednesdays, that's it for you as in your own right. You're going to go and work for Chris Anderson, are you? Help out? Yeah, I'm going to go and help Chris Anderson. He asked me to, and, and uh, I was originally going to help Chris Mutz, but he doesn't need me. Yeah. <laughs> so, and he's a good so you're still going to be Mutz. at the track on a regular basis? I'll be at a track, yes, three or four times a week, and, and there's a few horses going over to Chris Anderson, so I'll... I'll Sort of just keep keep me eye and help Chris. Mm. And have you yeah. still got that stopwatch, that clock? Oh yeah, still mm. got one. Still Who's going to get your boxes there? Is that Chris or someone else? I haven't. No, uh, I honestly don't know. Uh, originally, we were going to uh, uh, finish up next year or the end of this year, and the club asked me if I could. Uh, we we made an agreement we'd finish up on the 30th of November, and I think the club uh, we've got to have the stables free for the club. But I couldn't tell you what they're going to do. They swore me to secrecy for uh, un- until the early November, uh, early uh, November, and um, and I think they 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 know what they're doing, but mm. it's not my business. Yeah, yeah. not my public. Look, it's great it's great to talk to you. I'm glad that you're still going to be at the track. Um, so I'll be certainly you'll see Barry on a regular oh, basis. Absolutely. I'll see him, and uh, mm. thanks for sharing so many stories. It's you should be very very proud. Barry, of what you've achieved in racing, you know, from those humble beginnings you talked about, no money, working at a bacon factory, and so on, and you know, not being the best jockey, but uh, what you've mastered the art of this training, you know, training caper, and you know, it's it's not it's not a fluke that every couple of years you end up with a really good serious racehorse. It's just extraordinary. And to get a Group One winner, Barry, as a trainer, it it, it must be every trainer's dream to do that, and so many don't achieve it, you know, but you did. That yeah. must have been a great feeling that day. I can thank David Lang and his syndicate for that, but but she her mother was a ten thousand dollar boy. Yeah. So, yeah, amazing story. Yeah. yeah, would you have changed a lot though? Would you change much if you had your time over again? Uh, most likely, yeah, I'd change a few things. Uh, but I've met with some wonderful people, so yeah, so you know, I, and I, I, I do think that um, you must keep yourself focused on the horse. And I've got one rule which sometimes my wife doesn't agree with um, is the horse comes first. I think that's, you know, anybody kicking off has got to re- realise that. Yeah. You know, if you think you should do something with a horse, we'll do it before you go and have a beer or go home to your wife or whatever it may be. Uh, I, I think the horse comes yeah. first. Yeah. And I think a young, any young fellow listening this morning, the moral of the story is if they fancy someone, do not give up. How many times again was it with Margaret? Uh, 17 or 27. 17 times. Asking Gee. over a period of a couple of years. I wonder, years. would you have given up? Like, would you have I don't gone think you would 18? Have. <laughs> well, I was always determined. Yeah. So, one, one quick story before I go. Um, when I was a, a school kid, um, there was a Golden Glove champion at our school at Morningside. Um, he refused to fight me uh, at, at the ring. He, he said, no, I'll fight anybody here, but I won't fight him. And uh, and somebody said, oh, that Baldwin fellow? He said, yeah. He said, I had two... Two, two rounds of him the other day, so I knocked him down four times in the first round and three <laughs> times in the second round. Well, he feel he sorry said for he you. kept on getting up. <laughs> <laughs> so we, he said, I'll end up killing him. So, so um, that, that was my claim to fight. sums up your career, you know, the, I think that you, you're resilient and tough. And, you've got to keep bouncing back. Yeah. Get up and yeah. have another go. Yeah, just from my point of view, and I've dealt with you for such a long time, as just, you know, 20 years of age and working with Michael in the early days, green, not knowing what I was doing. and Blah, blah, blah. But meeting you, you've never ever knocked us back no. for an interview. You've been obliging. You've been kind. Yep. You've been thoughtful. You're just um, just a wonderful man. Mm. Pleasure I, to have you here. I learnt that from the early days. Yeah. You must yeah, go out of your way to help people. And and, yeah. and I was lucky I was brought up to be honest. Yeah. Thanks, Barry. Barry Bourbon.